0: Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley.
1: Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays, we will have a new episode. Also this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today we are joined by Bracca Getz. Hi, Bracca. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. We've we've delayed and delayed and, and rescheduled <laughs> and we finally made it, didn't we? Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, so what's going on in Baltimore?
0: It's pouring rain right now. Ah. Pouring. I just ran in. I came from a yoga class and I was so excited to get in. it's so much fun when it's pouring and you're indoors. (laughs) Right.
1: Right, Like the snow is pretty to look at from inside. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your family. Were you raised in Baltimore in New
0: York? You could probably tell from my accent. So um, till I was 18, I was in New York um, in this little apartment in Queens. And then I went to Harvard and I was there for three years when I graduated. I went to medical school for one year and then um, I had a six week break between my first and second year of medical school when I went to Israel that summer and I came back 10 years later.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's that's quite a story. So um, (laughs) did you have sisters and brothers? Yes. Um, my sister is nine years older than me. Okay. That's that's it. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what took you to Israel? What inspired you to go there? Oh my. Well, okay.
0: I, I was looking for a spiritual experience. You know, I, um, I, I was studying to be a psychiatrist and I remember I wrote to a friend who became religious. I wrote to him. And I said, you know, I want to be a psychiatrist, but I don't even understand why life is worth living. So um, how can I help my patients? And he said, yeah, don't worry about your patients. You need to understand why life is worth living. What's the purpose to life? So um, I was volunteering at Hadassah Hospital on the oncology ward, counseling people. And he came and he took me to these schools for women learning about my heritage, really my roots that I never learned about, ancient wisdom. And it was, it was like, well, I mean, it was like my soul was parched and I was so thrilled to finally get this information that basically had been thrown in the garbage. You know, like the heritage had been tossed and I was able to refind it again. It was a tremendous joy to me, and I'd been suffering from food addictions, um, really seriously at that point. Although nobody knew—I mean, like with as an addict, you do everything in secret, so nobody right. even knew how much I was suffering. But it was as if I, I found what finally nourished my my hungry soul. It was mm-hmm. what I say is it was a genuine hunger and i couldn't understand really why why was i able to heal from the food addictions when i found my spiritual nourishment and that's really what i love discussing is that the emptiness inside that we try to fill with addictions it's a spiritual emptiness it's not a physical hunger so All of that will never satisfy,
1: right? Exactly.
0: So what is your heritage? Um, Judaism. And I, you know, began to learn about the depths of it, which I mean, I was brought up culturally Jewish, but not my parents really never had an education in in Judaism. So I would see little pieces of it around, but I never I never got to the depths of it. I never even understood it was
1: such as a spiritual wisdom. Right. I didn't.
0: I didn't know that.
1: So you weren't raised in the synagogue or anything.
0: Well, I mean, like we'd go, to, you know, twice a year. It wasn't like it was part of our lives.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. What do you think it was about um, discovering your spiritual heritage that was the most captivating for you?
0: Oh, that's great. That was this there was this amazing rabbi he's no longer alive rabbi Weinberg what he spoke about was oh first of all in the old city of Jerusalem there was this big poster of a big bagels and lox sandwich with all this lox hanging out of it and it goes you know is this the culmination of like over 3,000 years of Jewish history because that's what it came down to like all these Jewish people were eating bagels and lock sandwiches. And there was like, where was the substance to it? You know, mm-hmm. I felt like I was the hole inside the bagel. That's the part I could relate to, you know. But the focus on the food, it, it was like is that is that all we are now? Just that that culture? So this rabbi, he was able to take the wisdom and make it so relevant, so alive. And like he talked about what's the purpose of life. And the answer he gave was blew me away, because he said the purpose of life is to experience the greatest pleasure possible. And that is not what you'd expect this rabbi in all black with a long white beard to be saying, what does that mean to experience the greatest pleasure possible? But then I came to learn, it means that the spiritual pleasures are the ones that last. If you want to experience the greatest pleasure in life, he explained He explained about climbing the pleasure ladder and, and, and how you climb the pleasure ladder, there's only one price to pay and that price is gratitude. That really the secret to joy in life is experiencing gratitude and that's the whole purpose for our being here is to experience gratitude. And we've gotten so far away from
1: enjoying this garden on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So what did you what did you do while you were in Israel to support yourself?
0: Um, Well, they didn't charge me any money to live at this school where I, I moved in. I moved out of the Hadassah Hospital dorms into this school, which was a pretty new school. And I started living there, and I did do like little things to just raise a little money. Like, I slept in the apartment of a woman who was um, a new widow and she didn't want to sleep alone, so I would stay there with her, and I would help out with um, children um, who had special needs, and I would work with them. I did like different little things while I was studying so that I was able to make a little bit of money while I was there too. Yeah. To, to so manage. did you
1: ultimately find in your spiritual journey that your career was no longer in medicine or was it just delayed? Um. Well,
0: by the time I came back 10 years later, I would have to take all my prerequisites again. I would have to start from scratch. It was no longer viable, but I mean, that was okay. I, when I came back here to America 10 years later, because my parents weren't well, by then I was married and I had five little children. <laughs> I had I had another child when I came back to America. So there was six. And when my youngest child started school, then I decided either now I'm going to go back to school and get an, a further degree or find an interesting job. Uh, but I ended up finding an interesting job and I never went back. Uh, for further degrees. I um, first I like I worked as an activity director in a big senior residence. And then I started I was directing a big brother, big sister program for like 20. Yeah, 20 years I spent doing that. So
1: that's great. That's great. So um, tell us a little bit more about your food addiction. How did that um, get started?
0: How did it get started? I would say, like I wrote a memoir. The memoir is my diary entries, which became a journal and then letters home. And then I filled in the missing pieces. And the the diary begins. That's when I started my diary, just as I was turning 12. At 12, there was a consciousness expansion that happened. I, I don't know if it's hormones or whatever, but I became more aware of the world and wondered, is this all there is to life? I couldn't believe it. That's when I began my search. So in in the memoir, you see me gradually developing the food addictions. It was very gradual. So it's kind of like a case study. But by my teens, you know, I was already into that, um, wanting to be thin. And also, it comes a lot, eating disorder behavior comes a lot from wanting to have a sense of control and feeling like your life is out of control and also has a lot to do with a sense of trust so i my sense of trust in the world got lower and lower and even though i looked successful on the outside going to harvard was part of the process I wanted to learn about the greatest wisdom in life. So I figured Harvard was the place to go. You know, I was curious about everything and wanting to learn, but I didn't find it there. What I was searching for in my soul, I became an expert on eating disorders while I was at Harvard. So here I am getting sicker and sicker myself and being the expert on campus and doing breakthrough research and speaking about it. Yeah, because an intellectual understanding is not enough. Mm -hmm. It was a spiritual hole that I had. So it it wasn't filling it. I understood what I was doing, but I couldn't stop myself. You know, I was getting it was getting worse and worse. By the time I got to medical school, the behaviors were so bizarre. Everything done in secret. No one saw me. And I was it was becoming a total prison. What I was what I was in. Um, there's a wonderful quote. Addiction is giving up everything for one thing and recovery is giving up one thing for everything. So at that point, I I was giving up everything because the addiction was taking over my whole life. So Um, were you like a binge
1: eater or were you just a non eater?
0: Yes, I would fluctuate between binge eating and extreme restrictive dieting, one Mm. or the other. So you could barely tell I was suffering. You couldn't tell from looking at me what I was going through. And it was um, just this constant, nothing to do with eating in terms of being physically hungry.
1: Well, it, eating it, yeah. disorders are so hard to pin down solutions for because, because it's both a process addiction and a chemical. You know, a, you know, not a chemical dependency, but a but a f- internal food um, dependency. So I think it's um, I think it's really challenging to address address that issue. But, but what 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 I came to is
0: that. I mean, this is my belief that it comes from a sense of, f- from a, a spiritual hole inside of us, an emptiness. So that's, that's the path that I'm trying to share because, and in fact, when people talk about the 12 steps, the spirituality is a major part of it, you know? So mm-hmm. I think what I, what I feel is that we, all need spiritual nourishment. And that has a lot to do with why addictions are so widespread now. We're trying to fill it up with these externalities. It's not doing it because it's not that kind of a hole. And, And people that have gone through trauma in childhood, I feel that they, in addition, therapeutic intervention is necessary in order to remove all the layers of protection but there's two things. Then they, then therapeutic intervention is needed, but also spiritual nourishment is needed
1: as well in order to fully heal. Right. I agree. I think it's a both and not an either or. Right. Did you have right. trauma in your childhood? Did the, any of this root
0: from trauma? Right. So not in my case, but I totally. And that's why for me, I feel like I was a control, like a control in a lab. I I had a very sweet childhood uh, filled with a lot of love, but there was no spirituality. It was as if I wasn't a spiritual being and I felt something so major was missing, even though I had everything else in this very sweet, quiet childhood, that I still was able to get to that state, I think is interesting when I was not suffering from trauma, Um, but That's why I see that other people that are suffering from trauma in childhood, they need the therapeutic intervention as well as the nourishment. Right. And like, in fact, some of my children's books are about the prevention of abuse because all of my books are about helping souls to shine. But, but if, if, if the child goes through abuse, neglect, different severe trauma, It's not enough to get that spiritual nourishment. It can't even get through all the layers of protection. So the the intervention is necessary as well.
1: Absolutely. So what was your low in your addiction?
0: Oh, the very low points, which I write about in the memoir. And people have said to me, how could you write about this? This is so like, it's so embarrassing. If I don't show how low things got, then people can't understand. How high you can possibly go, you know? Yeah. So I, I like to show the contrast. But it, my book is called Searching for God in the Garbage. And that's what I was doing. I was searching in the garbage pails for what people were throwing away. Um, here's a perfectly good ham and cheese sandwich that I could eat, you know? Um, like it can be redeemed. I could, I could there's something of value being thrown away and I could still redeem it from the garbage. Mm-hmm. So I would sneak around and I wasn't going out to like garbage pails out there in the medical school building itself. I would just wait till afterwards and I'd go around. I mean, and and then I would take things from fridges that didn't belong to me because I was so hungry. I mean, or like in other words, morals didn't matter anymore, you know, right the world had turned gray. Everything was being thrown away. I had no morals left at that point either. And I was, you know, my behavior was very, um, what's the word, you know, just getting involved with all kinds of people and doing all kinds, staying out all night and doing crazy things because mm. nothing mattered anymore.
1: Yeah. So once you realized um, that this was a a problem, which came first, a spiritual awakening or a desire to be well?
0: So it was interesting. While I was suffering like that, I think it was in May, as the first year of medical school was ending, Um, I told my boyfriend then, I think I'm suffering so terribly. I think I need to see a psychiatrist here that helps the medical students. So I went to this psychiatrist. It was very interesting. He was Japanese. I told him I was going to Israel that summer. And he said to me, you know, I think you think you're sicker than you are. He said, I think that when you go to Israel, I think you're going to find yourself spiritually. And that's what you really need. It was so strange for me. To hear that from him, he just met me. And after me explaining myself, he must have seen how I was talking about things and where the emphasis was. He wasn't from my culture, and yet he understood that. You know, I thought that was fascinating. Interesting. He he was totally right. I mean, that's what happened. It wasn't immediate. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't stop the binge eating and the restrictive dying the, the minute. I learned all this wisdom, but as it integrated into me, I began to notice that the binges weren't happening so much anymore. You know, the restricted, what was happening, it was changing. I, and then, and that's when I started to realize what does one thing have to do with the other, you know? And, and, and I, yeah.
1: (laughs) And so once that began to uh, your spirituality began to flourish, then, then your life could let go of that control a little bit.
0: Yes, because I trusted life. Before Mm -hmm. that, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't trust that there was really a good purpose to all this. I didn't trust that ultimately we're here for a good reason. Like all the challenges have a purpose that that we're really here to experience pleasure. I didn't I didn't understand that. It made sense of everything for me and also that we're we're basically good that we have this resilient sp- we're, we're resilient spiritual beings all of that wisdom I didn't have
1: and that changed the entire picture for me interesting so what role do mindfulness and gratitude play in your continued recovery yeah it's
0: it's tremendous because well most Jewish people they probably don't realize it because they're like we're culturally Jewish, but we don't have that that deep wisdom. But my whole day now is is um, exercises in gratitude. From the minute I wake up, we say a blessing when we wake up about that we're grateful that we have a soul again returned to us in order to face the challenges of the new day, and throughout the day. We make these mindful blessings before and after, even like taking a sip of water, anything. It's a mindful experience and it doesn't we don't have to use it like we could do it mindlessly as well. But the the opportunity is there to do it mindfully. Even after going to the bathroom, we make a prayer about how the tubes in our bodies are working right and how awesome that is, you know, like, so the whole day about rainbows, about nature, there's all these mindfulness exercises to make.
1: So it really instills gratitude from, from morning till night. Right. Yeah. And so the intentionality of that helps feed your soul because then you know, you know, the the roots of, of what you're made of.
0: Exactly.
1: Exactly. If,
0: if we don't recognize that we're spiritual beings, then we don't even realize we have to nourish that, that, that essence of who we are.
1: Right. Right. So tell us a little bit about the books that you've written. You said you've written some children's books and you're written a memoir. So tell us some about those.
0: Yeah. So there's, well, there's 40 books, 40 children's books. And I say, what do they all have in common? They all help souls to shine. Some of them are based on just helping our physical bodies to shine, because if if we don't have healthy bodies, then our souls can't fully shine. So like my newest book is Let's Stay Healthy. There was a mother that called me during the pandemic and she said, please, we got to have a book like this, you know for our children to eat healthy and know why exercise is valuable. And even as an undergraduate at Harvard, I was taking courses at the Harvard medical school and Harvard school of public health. Cause I love public health. So I, in this book, like I explain why to children, why, what does the junk food do to us? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's an amazing thing because it's kind of like getting a bruise when we get a bruise all the blood cells start rushing there to help out when we eat junk food also something unnatural is coming into our body and the body doesn't know what to do like what are you giving me that's how it responds right. so it goes into like action and it, it the um it causes inflammation and inflammation causes disease and chronic inflammation causes chronic disease Th- this is why even now children have type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's so, it's so not a joke that we're, we're giving toxic stuff to our children and and making it colorful even. Mm -hmm. And, and, and putting toxic dyes on things and stuff, which is so harmful. And really. our, Our world is filled with whole natural foods that are such gifts to us. Like, I love to give the example of an orange in particular because an orange, like first, it's, it's green like the leaves. It's camouflaged. And when it's ripe, it becomes bright, beautiful orange. I'm ready. It's calling to us to enjoy it when it's the most beautiful, mm-hmm. smells beautiful, tastes beautiful, juicy, with a, with, a, with a skin that keeps the juiciness in for months. Inside are the pits, the seeds of eternity. These seeds have the most incredible wisdom to become trees and more and more oranges. And and compare that to an orange flavored tangy taffy, you know, Mm -hmm. where you rip off the wrapper and it pollutes the environment. It's like it's as different as can be. It's it's, right. I learned that junk food has more in common with cigarettes and cocaine than it does with an orange or an apple.
1: Interesting. So in your in your books, do you explore any of your Jewish heritage and and spirituality or is it is it um, are they different than that? Some books are universal themes and some
0: books are specifically Jewish. I, I try to write the books I wished I had as a child. That's my goal. Mm. to help young children know that they're spiritual beings from the very beginning, so they don't have to follow the addictive path, you know, and they can nourish their hungry souls immediately and and learn learn happiness skills from the very beginning. So so they don't have to play catch up the rest of their lives. Right. When did you decide you wanted to write? When I was writing from when I was like in third grade. I remember I remember that there was like this big meeting with the parents and they read one of my poems. And it was about it was about books, how books can take you anywhere. You know, so that was kind of like a foreshadowing of where I was going. But um, I started writing when I was in Israel and my children were playing outside. I brought a notebook and I hand wrote it on paper stuffed it in an envelope, sent it to America. And six weeks later, I got a letter back that the book was accepted. So that that was the first book. And then I realized this is how you write a picture book. You know, so
1: interesting. who Who is your illustrator? Do you use the same illustrator? No. Well, usually the
0: publishing companies with traditional publishers, they usually pick their own illustrator. But sometimes they ask me to find the illustrator. And I've had a blast doing that, too. And I work with the illustrators online, back and forth. You know, I'm able to give my input, how things should look. And I love doing that because I also love art. So I've never illustrated my own books yet, but I love the back and forth of it.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. How fun that must be to to find someone who can complete your vision. I mean, because the pictures really do illustrate what you're trying to say.
0: Exactly. And they even... Sometimes they way surpass my vision when an artist really gets it. You know, one of my books, the artist just wow,
1: you know, it was way beyond what I ever pictured. I love that. And so, why did you decide to start writing a memoir? Oh, so the memoir
0: because I don't like to write long things. I love children's books because they're short and simple. I love my what I love to do is take deep concepts, express them as simply as possible. So the memoir is different because but I, but I didn't really write a big book. I compiled it when I found my old diaries. I remember I was sitting on the floor in my parents apartment with a bunch of children around me and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness now I see the thread of my life. I got to put this into a book. So that's how it happened. I took the excerpts, I put it together. And this book just, I think it's, it's a rare thing to be able to have these, it's almost like a documentary, because it actually shows the development of the food addictions, and then the healing process through real, real, um, real documents. That's
1: yeah, cool. And so when did that come out?
0: came out hmm, a few years ago. I can't remember the exact year that it was,
1: but pretty pretty recently. And what's it called? Searching for God in the Garbage. Okay. Okay. Um, And so what's your next project?
0: I'm working on a bunch of children's books right now. And people also are asking me to write about the five levels of pleasure. I, I might be doing another book for adults about that. But like one of the children's books that's I'm working on right now is about how there's a voice in our heads constantly getting us to focus on what we're lacking. We are always battling that. And it's a natural thing. Everybody's got it, you know. And. And we, we build our gratitude muscles by fighting against that natural force. We build it by saying, oh, yeah, it's you trying to get me to focus on what I'm lacking. <laughs> yeah. And, and everybody's got it. That's really important for everyone to know. This is a children's book to help children get it that everybody's got this. So and it's a natural good thing. It actually serves a good purpose to get us to fight back, build our gratitude muscles by saying, I'm not going to focus on what I'm lacking. I'm going to focus on what I have, all that I have right now. Mm-hmm. There, there's an expression in the Talmud, who is rich? Those who are happy with what they have. It's, it's, a, it's a constant battle throughout life, but as we do it, our muscles get stronger and stronger.
1: Yeah, that's great. So how do people find your books and find out more about you, Braka? My children made a website,
0: getsbookshop.com. That's the name of it. Gets is G-O-E-T-Z.
1: And that's where all my books are. Okay. And are you on social media? Can we find you there? Yeah, every place. Yeah, I'm all over (laughs) Well, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your wisdom with us. And we'll look forward to looking at some of your books and and uh, and learning more about you. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Jill. i just I just want to spread more joy in life. That's we all need more joy. everybody.'ve well, you, you done <laughs> that today. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.author, Twitter at JillRiley Author, and Instagram at JillRiley.author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.